Hey everybody, welcome to An American F1 Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Klein, coming fresh from you on a day where I'm pretty happy, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was trying to get this podcast on earlier because I was going to a NHL National Hockey League game, the New York Islanders, where they subsequently defeated the New Jersey Devils. I was desperately trying to get the podcast done while I was in the parking lot due to my limitations, being that, you know, first of all, I have a job that I like and uh, I enjoy, so it takes up a good portion of my life. And of course, I do have a personal social life, you know, so I wasn't able to get the podcast in earlier, but I made a determination that I'm going to get it done tonight. And so that way I can share with you my views on so many things, F1, that just I feel like need to be shared, especially with the news that's gone on over the past three days. But Yeah, uh, went to the hockey game. Got to say, I wore my Islanders hat. Also repped my Alpha Tauri F1 shirt. So I was kind of mixing both worlds there. I will tell you, it's pretty cool. In the United States, the random Formula One people you run into. uh, Today, no such luck. But in the past, I will tell you, I've gone to a hockey game. You know, I was just going up to the bar at the stadium, getting a Heineken. And... I think it was right around the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. It might have been Brazil. I don't remember offhand. Uh, but it was one of those Grand Prix where, you know, Lewis was just looking amazing. I'm pretty sure it was Saudi Arabia. And I was at the bar and a guy saw my Alpha Tauri sweatshirt. He was like, oh, my God, bro, like, did you catch the race this weekend? I was like, yeah, of course I did. Like, And just started having a conversation with this guy about, you know, how, one, I thought Lewis was going to win the championship. I look like an asshole now, but technically... If it weren't for Michael Massey, I would be right. If it weren't for certain extenuating circumstances, I would have been correct. My prediction would have been accurate. But that's besides the point. Uh, you know, sometimes I go out in the town, I'll run into one or two people that are like, oh, I recognize the shirt, you see the race. And uh, there are some actually, I was surprised in my town when I go out, there are some people who know what Alpha Tower is or who Pierre Gasly is because it's very surprising. But, yeah, so sometimes that happens when I go to hockey games. I would say that's like a one in... 1,000 chance that somebody else knows what the heck I'm wearing. But the game was a fun time, and, you know, uh, a lot of Formula 1 thoughts were still going through my head as I was watching the game. And these are the things I want to share with you, because we had a busy week in Formula 1. I was going to make this podcast on Wednesday. Turns out, even though I waited for the podcast, there was still a lot of news to happen in between. So... I'm kind of going to break up this news section, this lead-in, with a few different points that I found interesting this week, and I think we know what one of them are going to be, and one of them kind of ties together, and you'll see how in a little bit, but yeah, there was actually quite a lot of F1 news, and I hope I'm not missing anything. If there's anything major you think I'm missing, feel free to critique me at Twitter or on Instagram, at anamericanf1. Feel free to challenge my thoughts, my opinions, etc. So... Anyway, big F1 news. Well, not really F1 news, but I guess you could say formula, lower formula news in F2. This is one of the more interesting pieces of news, maybe more anecdotal pieces of news from the week, but I think pretty significant nonetheless. And that was the appointment of a formula, uh, former esports legend or um, athlete, Jem Bulakbasi, who has made a promotion with the Charouz Racing Team, Charouz Racing Systems Team in Formula 2, uh, getting promoted to Formula 2. And 
it's a pretty big deal for a few reasons. One being that he's Turkish, and Turkey, first of all, has never had an F1 driver. So this is right now very close, probably the closest I think someone from Turkey has come. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but it's one of the first major popular Turkish athletes to make it into Turkish racers to make it into Formula One potentially. He's in Formula Two right now. And the other big thing being is uh Jimbalik Basi was an esports driver. Now, on Twitter you're gonna see a lot of people saying, well, this is basically, you know, you're just glorifying this guy with no racing experience, you're promoting from esports. I think they're ignoring the bigger picture. And I'm gonna get into something else that I think about my connection with esports, I don't really have a connection with esports, but uh, what I think esports can serve as and why it's not necessarily a bad thing. So, Jimbalik Bossy, yes, he was an e-sim racer. He was starting a professional esports career in 2017. Um, however, he is not foreign to racing. If you know his career he actually had a motocross career when he was young at the age of five he won a championship in turkey um and then he went into esports racing and you know he had that passion obviously for racing at a young age it wasn't like he was foreign to young racing but i guess he never had that opportunity to get into a bigger series never was discovered with that bigger series and esports was kind of his gateway in you might find this as a cold take, but he graduated from eSports series into GT4 racing. And in GT4 racing, he had a mildly successful stint in GT4, and then he made his way into the lower formula. So it's not like it's just some rando that was on a computer that you know dedicated his life to just being on a computer. This was a guy who has some kind of racing talent, some kind of racing experience. And I think it kind of shows maybe a wider scope that eSports can play for us. I think that eSports maybe might be, in fact, this gateway for started drivers that never quite had the opportunity, either because of sponsorship or recognition, to get into these lower formulas. It might be their gateway to get into an actual form of racing. And for that, I mean, you could say it's the democratization of racing. Right? You have racing, particular Formula 1 racing maybe, Formula 2 racing, Formula 3. These other racing series reaching populations, reaching people that maybe would have otherwise not been discovered. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jelen... Bulak Basi will do. I don't think he's going to be a Formula One driver. I hope he proves me wrong. But I'm saying he could set this precedent where... Are you telling me it's going to be surprising if 10, 15 years down the line you find drivers in the lower formulas and hell even in Formula One that have had this extensive sim racing experience, that have competed in competitive sim racing? I think it's something that could determine certain positions for at least lower formula seats in the future and what those people decide to do. Listen, at the end of the day, Jim Bullock Bossy, when he's in Formula 2, he's it's not an automatic deal that he's going to get into Formula 1. And I saw a lot of people just criticizing this move. They're saying, you know, they're basically glorifying a esports driver. Well, it's true. 
he's probably brought in some significant sponsor money too. I'm sure of it. Uh, but in the same respect, you got to understand that he still has to prove himself. If he is a dud, he's a dud. If he's successful, he'll be successful. It's like anything else in racing. But I'm not going to knock something that gets somebody in the door. And if it means that this could find, that this method results in decent racing drivers, then it's not a failure. If Jen Bullock Bossy ends up being a good driver, or if someone else that's discovered via eSports becomes a good driver, we shouldn't knock it. We should appreciate it. We should appreciate that, obviously, sim racing, although it can be expensive to buy certain things, is a cheaper alternative to actually getting in a car and some kids just don't have that opportunity there either. Their parents can't spend that money. They don't find the sponsorship money. They just simply don't have the opportunity. But they do have the opportunity to get into sim racing. And it's a gateway for them to maybe achieve greatness. So I'm not going to knock it. I think it's an interesting development. Bold move by Charu's Racing Systems. But I want to see where it's going to go. It's something I'm honestly going to follow. I'm going to watch Formula 2 to see what he does. I'm curious as to how his skills which aren't absent exactly because he's proven in lower formulas, but I want to see how his skills in these sim racings transfer over to his actual racing career. So that was one development. The other big piece of news, and this is going to tie into the last piece of news, is um, Alpine's team principal, Marcin Butkowski, has resigned. And for those that don't know, Marcin Budkowski has had an extensive career within Formula One, within aerodynamics, within Formula One racing. He is considered, I think, pretty high up in terms of team principles. I think he's one of the underrated team principles, too. I don't think Alpine has had a bad season last year. I mean, in 2021, like we talked about, we will talk about... um, you know, they might have underachieved a little, but I think they had a lot of positives going with them. But Budkowski has this interesting career where he was at McLaren for a while, especially during their heydays, you know, their title winning years. He was with Ferrari in the past with the team that won many championships. And he joined, after his McLaren stint, he became very involved with Formula One. So Marcin Budkowski has... This extensive history in Formula One's technical and sporting coordination. He was actually one of their technical department team heads in 2017. So, Marcin Budkowski has this history with Formula One. So, you know, he obviously had this stint with Renault after that, Renault, after that, and then which became Alpine. But what's interesting is the moving chess pieces now because Budkowski is resigning. And we know in the coming weeks, and I'm going to get more into that in a second, that there will be this inquiry findings report on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. What's probably going to ultimately happen, I'm 99.9999% sure, that with those findings will be the resignation of Michael Massey. So... This presents an interesting situation because, obviously, if Michael Massey is going to retire, well, retire, geez, resign. Uh, Sorry, it's late. If Michael Massey is going to resign, or if he's going to be forced out, essentially, that means there is going to be 
an open spot, obviously, for the race director position in Formula One. So that presents an interesting dilemma. The rumor is that before Charlie Whiting died, Marcin Bukowski was being groomed to be the next head of competition, the next Formula One race director. I don't know how true that is. But it is kind of interesting to think about. Bukowski, who has his extensive career, not just on the race team side, but also on the FIA side, it is kind of interesting to think that if Michael Massey ends up being forced to resign as race director, does that mean we will see Marcin Bukowski fill in for him and take his position? Personally, for the FIA, I'd be kind of excited for this decision if the FIA decides to go with Bukowski. I think he's one of the true, genuine guys in the sport. I think he's very knowledgeable. I think he's a good leader. I think Bukowski would be the right... I think he knows enough about Formula One from both sides of the field to be a good race director. And I think he might be the stability they need. I think he would be a good counterbalance to Michael Massey and arguably the disorganization and chaos that has followed with him as race director and the controversies. So that's interesting. Obviously, with Alpine having that open spot, probably one of the worst-kept secrets in Formula One is that Otmar Safnauer will probably be filling in as the team principal at Alpine. I would not be surprised if you see that coming within the next couple of days or weeks. Pretty sure that Otmar is going to go there. There's been rumors about that circling around. So, you know, 99% sure, too, that Otmar is going to end up going to Alpine and being their new team principal, which I think is good. I, I like Otmar Safnauer. Again, an American, um, very good and I think underrated team principal. Again, like I mentioned last week, he did a lot with the Sahara Force One India team, did a lot with Racing Point, which then became Aston Martin. Obviously a little bit of a disappointing year this year. But I think it would be good to keep him in the sport. I think he's one of these guys that are good for the sport. I think he really wants the best out of his teams. So it's going to be interesting to see where those pieces fall. And that brings us into probably the most significant piece of news for this week. And that is what is going to happen with this inquiry by the FIA into the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. One of the reasons why this inquiry is such a big deal, first of all, is because obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you know what happened. Not going to go into it. I've probably done it like 7 million times. But because of what happened at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, there are rumors swirling around that Lewis Hamilton's career could be decided based on what this inquiry comes up with. Basically saying that, and it's kind of unfortunate, but the basic opinion here or the basic train of thought here is that Lewis, who by the way, we have not heard from virtually, we have not heard from except for his brief interview after the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We have not heard from Lewis after. We don't know how he's feeling exactly. We've heard from Toto, we've heard from other reps at Mercedes, but we haven't heard from Lewis directly. So the rumor swirling around is that basically Lewis's decision on his career is going to depend on what the findings of this FIA inquiry are. And to me, 
the question is, what is Lewis looking for? What is enough for him? Is it enough to say Michael Massey is done as race director? Does that solve every issue that we have with the procedures and the rules within a Formula One race? Or is it something more? Is that, you know, Michael Massey will resign and XYZ is going to happen in regards to the race director position? So the twist here is that the results are not going to be released until the week of the Bahrain Grand Prix, which if Lewis is hinging his bets on that, I mean, it's a bold gamble by the FIA, you would think. Originally, we were told that these findings were going to come in February, early February. And that would have provided, you know, some information for us. And maybe we would have some closure and maybe Lewis would have some closure. Now with the FIA not releasing these findings, what does that mean for Lewis? Is this the FIA trying to call out Lewis's bluff and basically say, well, we know you're not really retiring. We know this is all to get us to pressure into making a certain decision. Is Lewis serious? Because I would think if he was serious, the FIA basically... For lack of a better term, the FIA dicking him around. If I was Lewis, I'd say, you know what, guys? You're a loss. You blew it. Uh, I'm going to resign. I'm going to leave the sport. Which we know the FIA doesn't want. We know Formula One doesn't want. Listen, you could be a Max Verstappen fan. You could be a Lewis Hamilton fan. You could be a Ferrari fan. You could be a McLaren fan. You could like whoever you want. But you cannot deny that Formula One needs Lewis Hamilton. You could probably not argue why the sport would be better without Lewis. As much as some people might think they don't like him, as much as people might critique him, one, Lewis is a damn good driver, and he's proven it numerous times. Two, thanks to Lewis, arguably other than Michael Schumacher and maybe Senna, can you think, and yeah, maybe we could go Lauda, uh, Nicky Lauda, James Hunt as well. But really, other than Senna, Schumacher, maybe to an extent Fernando, can you name someone else that has increased the exposure of a sport as much as Lewis Hamilton has? Lewis Hamilton, again, whether you're a Red Bull fan, whether you're a Mercedes fan, I don't care. You can't deny that Lewis has had a major impact on the notoriety of the sport, that part of the drama, part of the appeal of the sport is the fact that Lewis is there, that Lewis has been so dominant, that Lewis can reach audiences that haven't always been reached with Formula 1, that Lewis is internationally known. Listen, I I watch ESPN in the United States. I will tell you, when I was a kid, ESPN wasn't always reporting about Michael Schumacher. They weren't always reporting about Kimi Raikkonen. But ESPN will report about Lewis Hamilton. You will hear about Lewis Hamilton in the United States. You will hear about him on programming in the United States. So, Lewis does have this international appeal, which is good for the sport. Plus, for Lewis to retire now in the midst of... We just had one of the greatest battles probably since Senna Prost. Maybe since... Hamilton, Alonso, you could say, you know, since Vettel, Weber, Hamilton, that era as well, throwing Alonso there as well. But realistically, we have not had a rivalry like this since Senna Pro. 
And if Lewis were to leave in the midst of this major rivalry, it would be a shame. We would be cheated on a great rivalry. Especially with these new regulations coming. I still think Red Bull and Mercedes are going to be at the top. So, here's to hoping that the FIA comes up with a logical solution. Listen, as much as you might have wanted Max to win, you might have wanted Lewis to win, you can't deny that the ending of the race bothered you a little. I've been thinking about that race since it happened. And that's about a month now. I've been thinking about how, when I was watching it, I was fully expecting it to end under a safety car. I was like, well, you know what? It would be totally fitting that this epic championship battle would end under a safety car. And I think myself, like others, were just as surprised to see that safety car abandoned. Those five cars pushed ahead and basically became a one-lap shootout, which is great for entertainment. If you're someone new to the sport, more power to you. If you're... And again, I don't like people criticizing these Drive to Survive fans because you know what? Drive to Survive got people into Formula One and we got to appreciate that. But either way, if you're one of these people who's the casual fan and you like that last lap, more power to you. Yes, it was an entertaining finish and you might have not understand it. Understand it. Wow. You might have not understood the race procedures, the race rules at that time. And it might have produced a great race. But the purist, and I always like talking like a purist. You know, you don't want to be that guy that's like, well, you know. But at the end of the day, there's rules to be followed. And listen, I totally get, listen, the race director is the hardest job in Formula One. Michael Massey had the hardest job this year too, especially because it wasn't like a mail-it-in year like 2020 was, where Lewis flat-out dominated. There wasn't that many controversies. This was a tough year. I get it. The race director position isn't easy. You have team bosses in your ears. You have uh, team engineers in your ears. You have strategists. You have these different motions, these different pieces going on. And the FIA radio being broadcast on Formula One, while it was entertaining for us, one of the worst things for the race director too because it just showed, intentionally or not, it showed his inability to make a proper decision. And it's a shame. It really is. Because I think Michael Massey was trying his best with the job. Listen, he's no Charlie Whiting. But I think Michael Massey was trying to do his best with his job. And he messed up. He prioritized having an entertaining race over what the rules said. And I understand his point of view. I understand why that decision was made. But at the same time, you can't deny that if you were from Mercedes, you would feel cheated. And you could see why Mercedes had... A legitimate argument. And they definitely did. So. Here's to hoping that. When that report comes out. The findings are something positive. For the sport. Keeps Lewis in. I really want Lewis. I love watching Lewis race. I think he's one of the. Best racers. Other than Schumacher. That I've seen race. And I'm not going to compare them. I think it's unfair. To compare both drivers. Uh, I think you should. Take them as they are. In their moment. In their career. Obviously, it's a fun thought experiment to think about who's better, but they are some of the most entertaining drivers I've seen in my lifetime. So I really hope Lewis's career doesn't end because of a poor decision made at the end of one race. Obviously, a championship determination race, championship determining race, but it would be quite upsetting to me if that happened.
All right, so since I went on a really long tangent, I'm going to go into Alpha Tower. So like I've been doing, I've been covering the teams, where they finished, um, how they did, what their expectations were going into 21, and what can we, what we can maybe expect from 2022. So last week I covered Aston Martin, talked a lot, especially about with Otmar now resigning, talked a lot about how Aston Martin was essentially a disappointing season for them. I think this team is the antithesis of Aston Martin, where this was a team, listen, AlphaTauri is kind of that little team that could. I don't think anybody expected them to finish ahead of Aston Martin. Usually we would expect, you know, maybe the pecking order to go. Uh, Haas, Alpha, Williams, Alpha Tauri, then Aston, McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes. But realistically, when we're looking back to 2020, and even before that, the second half of 2019 where Pierre turned it up, I think looking at either what was then Toro Rosso or then looking to Alpha Tauri, I think we're seeing a team that's starting to grow. A team that is maybe, I you know, they are obviously Red Bull's development team, but maybe they're trying to shy a little bit away from that. Maybe they're trying to be almost on equal footing or close to equal footing. Obviously, there still is that major component of being tied to Red Bull, which is inseparable, but Alpha Tauri is no joke. They're a team, this Alpha Tauri team, this incarnation of Toro Rosso, in my opinion, is better than the Toro Rosso of old. And you can make your comparisons to how Seb won on his own with that team, blah, 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 blah. But this Alpha Tower team is, to me, the little team that could. Yes, they have their Red Bull teams, they have their Red Bull money. But, damn, Alpha Tower with Pierre Gasly, and I know I'm kind of biased because I like Alpha Tower, but Alpha Tower with Pierre Gasly as their lead has been strong. First of all, we could talk about 2020, the surprise win. By Pierre, we could talk about how going into this 21 season, I wouldn't say expectations were high, but I think they were well-rounded. Uh, the one question mark, of course, being that Alpha Tauri was adding a rookie, Yuki Sonuda. And Yuki, early on, I mean, the one... Listen, I, I think it's even hard to say what was a bad race for Alpha Tauri. I mean, they had races where they retired, races where they were out of the points, at least for Pierre. But... Overall, they were a pretty consistent team. They qualified well. Pierre raced well. And to me, the biggest downside for AlphaTauri this year was the fact that Yuki had significant difficulties. And going into 21, Yuki wasn't exactly looked at as an undeserving driver. I mean, he's proven himself in Formula 2. He's won races. He's had good finishes. Um... Yuki had potential going into Formula 1 this year. And the thing with him was he looked really good in Bahrain testing. He looked really good even going into the qualifying sessions in Bahrain. Uh, That first race was mildly successful for him. I believe he finished ninth. He finished in the points. I know that. Don't quote me offhand where he finished. But starting off, Yuki looked good. But you could tell that he was driving pretty much on the edge for a lot of this. That he was trying to really be almost a little wild with the car, be almost trying to find the limits of it. And you could just tell that on TV, if you listen to commentators talking about it too, you could tell that maybe Yuki was wheeling it a little too much. And that had some major negative effects on him. And 
it's unfortunate because for a driver that I think when he's consistent is good, and I'll talk about that in a second, how he's proven that. Uh, for a driver that had some potential in the beginning of the season, he kind of spent this first half just flat-out struggling, crashing the cars in qualifying, crashing cars in uh, practice, crashing cars in races, you know, spinning out in races, just showing his general inexperience and maybe times where he should have backed off, he didn't, and maybe just racing too hard. And Yuki himself was well aware of these struggles. First of all, he relocated his house to be closer to the factory, the Alpha Tower factory, so that way he could get more sim work in, be closer to... Uh, his team bosses, his team engineers, and really work with the car and understand it, which, hey, props to him to make that move, showing that this is a guy who understands he's messing up in his career and he's going to work to fix it. And then, of course, with Yuki, we had the one moment, too, where it was announced that he was re-signed, and Yuki, oh, man, I, I mean, I love Yuki. He seems like such a nice guy. But in the interview, he literally said, I was surprised Red Bull kept me. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, Yuki, of course you should be surprised because you have genuinely underperformed. You have destroyed cars, but you don't need to say that. You got to look, you know, a little tougher. Look like, listen, you got to get up on that horse and just, you know, be ready to fight back. So, Yuki, definitely a disappointing season. But to his credit, he started to turn it around that last, like, quarter of the season. And I think... For him, and I think we could look at this as a positive, his best race was in Abu Dhabi, the last race of the season. So it might have taken 21 races to figure it out, 22 races to figure it out. But he was genuinely close to a podium on merit. It wasn't like people crashed out or had major issues. It wasn't a wreck fest. On merit, Yuki finished fourth. And, you know, maybe had some safety car help. But still, that's pretty impressive. And that shows that he kind of started to put it together in the last half of the season, that last quarter of the season. So, for Yuki and AlphaTauri, yeah, definitely a disappointment. Pierre, on the other hand, as much as Yuki was a disappointment, I think Pierre was a bright spot. I mean, looking at Pierre's results, was there a race that you could say Pierre threw in the towel and just, like, crap the bed I I really don't think so there were a few I think I don't think he was as happy as he was at Brazil I don't think he was as happy as he was in some of those races where he had retirements especially the first race of the season at Bahrain where he kind of had unfortunate luck but when Pierre is on he's on and of course he had the podium at Baku so continuing two years in a row of being up on the podium for Alpha Tauri but in general when Pierre was on, he was on. I mean, he had Bahrain, where he finished out of the points because he had an unfortunate collision and then some reliability issues. Steering Grand Prix, same thing. Um, at Silverstone, he finished 11th, probably not too happy. Um, also, I think at Monza, he had to retire. Russia had some bad luck, of course, with uh, the rain, and we all know what happened there, finishing out of the points. Same thing, United States Grand Prix had an issue, but and Qatar wasn't his best race. But other than that, I mean, we're seeing since it finishes of 5th, 6th, 7th, 4th, 6th, 4th, 6th, 5th, 9th, 7th, 3rd, 6th. Like, when Pierre's on, he is on. And just the amount of points, he single-handedly was responsible for AlphaTauri 
being ahead of Aston Martin. And they were pretty close to Alpine, which is pretty incredible considering that Yuki's finishes were less than to be desired. So, for AlphaTauri going into 2022, I really do think as good as this team is, as good as this team has been, I genuinely think they could end up being one of the bigger question marks of the season because I just feel like the team has been doing so well. They're driving so well. Um, new regulations coming in. I feel like this is a team, while some teams are going to be helped by regulations, I feel like AlphaTauri could be hurt. I don't know why, but something in the back of my head is telling me that we might expect a disappointing season from AlphaTauri. Again, I have no reason to justify it. I think Pierre knows his team well. I think he's great on the engineering side. I think he's a great driver. But I feel like 2022 is going to be a chance where we see a lot of these other teams maybe succeed. And I really just, I don't know why, if I'm just guessing and pulling this out of nowhere, there's no evidence to suggest that AlphaTauri is going to be bad. I think they're trying to be a good midfield team. But part of me is also a little nervous that they might take a step back. And that would really be a shame because... I really want to see what Yuki can do in a good car, especially with a year under his belt. And the future for Pierre, too. I mean, he's obviously staying with AlphaTauri for 2022, but where is he going to go after that? Like, Pierre's one of these guys who he has so much talent. And it would just be a shame for him to just keep toiling and toiling and toiling at the Red Bull sister team. I know he had his opportunity with Red Bull when he was second field to Max Verstappen. Yeah, he had half a season at that team. Never really had a chance to develop. I really want to see what he can do as a bona fide leader of a team with good equipment where he's not having to play exactly second field, where he's kind of closer on equal footing. So I think Pierre needs to have a good season this year. I think he needs to prove his worth so he can move up and get out of the Red Bull triangle or whatever you want to call it, the Red Bull sphere of influence. I really want to see what Pierre can do in another team because I think he's one of the more underrated drivers. I don't even know if he's underrated anymore. He has a race win. He has podiums. I think people like Pierre, but I do want to see what he can do elsewhere just to see if he can not replicate his first Red Bull years, if he can show that he really did belong with a top team because that would be definitely interesting. I really don't think he's going to end up back at Red Bull. I don't think he's going to be at that top team. I think once you're, I feel like it's very hard once you're dumped from that Red Bull team to come back. I'm sure we can find evidence somewhere. I, I can't think of anybody offhand. I'm sure somebody's going to correct me. But I feel like once you're out of that Red Bull sphere of influence, that's it. I mean, maybe you're pulling Alex Albon and they give you a ride somewhere else. But I really don't know. I don't know what uh, is in store for Alpha Tauri next year. But that's my opinions on that team. Again, I think they outperformed this year for sure. They were one of the bright spots of the season. Pierre being one of the greatest bright spots of the season. I'm really looking forward to see what he can do next year and hope he can get a win. For Yuki, listen, I'm hoping Yuki can find his way. I like Yuki Tsunoda. I hope he finds his way with the AlphaTauri team. I hope he has a successful 2022. And I think to some extent he will. I think he will mature a little and grow into a better driver. And I hope he doesn't drive it as much on the edge. Of course, the new cars being a major question mark, it's really hard to make an accurate prediction. 
But I wouldn't be surprised next year if we see Alpha Terry fall back a little bit. So that's all I got for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm on Twitter with at f one Same thing on Instagram. Check it out. I also have the website, www.namericanf1.com. Check it out, guys. I'll come back to you next week with another little discussion on news that's going on. And, of course, talking about the fifth place in the constructors. And that is Alpine with Fernando Alonso, Elpan, and Esteban Ocon. Until then, guys, thank you for listening. And I'll see you on the other side.